All right, well, we're continuing on our story of the Bible and looking at Jesus fulfilling the Old Testament. And um, this morning, we're looking at uh, Jesus as the prophet um, in his offices as prophet, priest, and king. Uh, So can I pray before we we get going? (coughs) Excuse me. Oh, Heavenly Father, we we thank you uh, for your word. We thank you that through your word, you challenge us, uh, you encourage us, and God, you speak prophetically into our lives. And we thank you uh, that you have spoken ultimately through your Son, who came as your living word, your prophetic word, to be amongst us and to call us back to righteousness, back to faithfulness to you, but also came to be the way, the way to you, the way to faithfulness, to be our faithfulness. So Lord, as we uh, ponder Uh, Christ as prophet, uh, would you inspire us, God? Speak to our hearts and minds, we pray. Amen. Have you ever realized, looking backwards, that something was right before your eyes and you didn't really even realize that it was there? Um, For me, this was a person, actually, and and I, I didn't realize how good this person was at their job until looking back at the, end of my, uh, at the end of me finishing up this job. And I was working in my first year out of high school as uh, an administrator uh, for Fletcher Interiors, Fletcher Construction Interiors, and they were redoing the Starship Hospital. They are doing an interior renovation. Um, and the site supervisor or site manager in charge of the site um, was this, he was a funny guy, he was English, he could tell stories, I could just imagine him being in a pub, he could captivate you with you know, just a couple of sentences, um, and I really, really enjoyed being there. Um, but he coordinated all sorts of things, he coordinated the helipad being um, bridged to the hospital, and obviously helicopters coming in and landing all the times. There were builders who kept drilling through wires in the hospital, and so the fire department was up like two or three times a week, and he had to you know, make peace with them multiple times. Um, he'd have to uh, liaise with the, the, the clients, the district health board, and try and keep them happy, um, while also having a bigger project going on at the same time as our one was going on. Um, He was just incredible at doing all of this. I didn't realize any of this about how stressful his job was and about how much work he put in because it made my job so easy. It made my job so easy as the, the, you know, I was just a minimum wage project administrator. But even though something great is in front of you, even though someone great in their job is right before you, sometimes you don't even realize it, right? And that to me, is Jesus in a nutshell. Jesus' ministry. Jesus calling the people back to God. The people didn't realize just what kind of person he was. And they missed the fact that he was so much more than a prophet. But he also was a prophet. And I think we miss the point that Jesus came as a prophet in the line of the prophets, as well as the Messiah. We kind of skip to the anointed one, the Messiah, and all of that, and forget his prophetic ministry. And so I want to encourage us not to miss that, because that is really key and really important to our understanding of Jesus' ministry. But I also, uh, I've been thinking over this last week about the sermon, because I don't want to miss the opportunity this morning as I talk about Jesus as a prophet 
to actually speak prophetically to us as a congregation. Okay? Like, how, how much of an irony would that be? You know, Jesus, the role of a prophet in the Old Testament that we saw was to call people back to covenant faithfulness, to call people back to live out their promises to God in light of what God has done for them. And so I, I don't want to miss that opportunity because the primary role, as I said, of a prophet was to call people back, and that is just what Jesus did. Jesus came to call people back, but in a different way. He said, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are the poor in spirit, the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, the persecuted for his sake. He said, this, these are my people. This is what you will look like. This is what God's people look like. This is Jesus' call on our lives to be these people. And that happens at the start of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. And the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' exposition of God's law, of his commandments to us. It is a call to treat the law more than a set of rules to be obeyed. And Jesus teaches this to us with this formula. You have heard that it is written, but I say to you, this higher standard than we ever expected. Turn away from your unfaithfulness to God. Turn away from your unfaithfulness to His grace. Turn away from your sin and back to Him. Return to faithfulness to God. And Jesus says, this means more than you think. And this is what He says to us as individuals and what He says to us as a community. It means more than what you think. Anger is murder. Lust is adultery. Kindness, be kind to those who harm you. Love and pray for your enemies. Be radical in generosity without expecting anything in return. Prayer, so pray in a sincere way that is not self-indulgent. Trust God to forsake all the earthly treasures that you might receive heavenly treasures. Have a confident and earnest trust in God so that all your anxiety is gone because you trust God to fulfill your every need. Do unto all others not just those you like, do unto all others as you would have them do to you. And Jesus says, because it is only when you do this, it's only when you do this, that at the end of your life, Jesus will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. And he won't say, depart from me, I never knew you. And the only way to achieve this, Jesus says, the call of Jesus on our lives in a prophetic way to call us to covenant faithfulness is to like the wise builder, build your life upon the rock. Jesus' words. That is Jesus' prophetic call. To hear his words and to put them into action. That is the call that he has on our lives every single day. I'm, I'm not making this up, I promise. Right? In, in the Great Commission, we all love the first part of the Great Commission. Go into the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But then in verse 20 of Matthew 28, he says, Teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. It's not just about the believing, but believing issues forth in action. It issues forth in how we live our lives, just not what we think about how we should live our lives. That is what covenant faithfulness is. That is the role of a prophet to us. James, another author in the New Testament, puts it like this in chapter 2 of his letter. He says, What good is it, brothers and sisters, if someone says they have faith but does not have works? 
Can that faith save them? If a brother or sister is poor and clothed and lacking in daily food, and you say to them, go in peace, be warm, be filled, without giving them any of these things that they need, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Okay, that is the call of Jesus on our lives. But he doesn't leave it there. Right? It's a big call. It's an extreme call for our lives to follow. But he helps us. And I'm going to come back to that a little bit later. But there's a few things that I want us to know about Jesus as prophet. Firstly, Jesus and the people that he was ministering to knew that he was a prophet. He believed himself to be a prophet, and they did too. Second, it was a dangerous job to have in Jesus' time. Thirdly, Jesus himself... Sorry, Jesus himself is the prophet, the prophetic call, and the prophetic way. And finally, as Jesus' disciples and followers, we, like Jesus are to be revolutionaries in the world, calling the world back to covenant faithfulness and having a prophetic ministry in our lives. So, first one, Jesus himself and his audience knew that he was a prophet. We don't often think about that. We go straight to Jesus, as I said, as Messiah. But Jesus said, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country or his own house, talking about himself. And to replying to who do the people say that I am, people knew or believed him to be a prophet. Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, other another ones of the prophets. Jesus did not regard this answer to be as misleading as we might think. Yeah, he goes on to correct them, but it was just the first level of understanding. When Jesus arrived in Jerusalem in the Gospel of Matthew, in the midst of making it quite clear that Matthew thinks he is the coming Messiah, the pilgrims say, who is this? And they say, well, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And after the parable of the wicked tenants in which Jesus portrayed himself by implication as the last in the line of the great prophets, Matthew says that those who wished to arrest him feared the crowds. Why? Because they held him to be a great prophet. When Herod hears about what Jesus is doing, he thinks John the Baptist has come back to life. Others argue that he's Elijah, one of the prophets. Some suggest that the early church made up the idea that Jesus was the Messiah, that it was a social fabrication in order to make money and expand a little empire for themselves. But when we read again and again in the Bible that the testimony of the crowds, particularly in an instance like after he raises a widow's son back to life, they don't say that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the God, Son of God. They say he is a great prophet. He has risen among us. The gospel authors were true to what happened historically. I love this one. When the Pharisee, Simon, his name is, uh, sees the woman who is a sinner, he says, uh, worshipping Jesus, he says to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known his sins. In other words, this incident is casting doubt on Jesus' prophetic ministry. Is he really the prophet he claims to be? This claim, therefore, is probably common amongst uh, all of those who knew Jesus. But Jesus' response, and this is what I love, shows that not only does he know all about this woman, but he also knows all about Simon the Pharisee too. He is a prophet par excellence. The claim is vindicated. 
When warned about Herod's threats, Jesus replies that that fox, that King Herod, it is, it is impossible for a prophet to perish away from Jerusalem. Jesus accepted his role as a prophet and the fate that the prophet bore as well. And of course, John in his gospel adds many other ways in which to speak, which Jesus acknowledged he was indeed a prophet. But a prophet, as I said, in the first century Palestine was not exactly the most secure job to have. As I mentioned a few weeks ago with the concept of king, God's people lived in the shadow of not only their own kings, but perhaps even more obviously, the shadow of the Caesars. The Roman Empire had conquered most of the known world at that point and ruled it at the point of a sword. This allowed them to achieve uh, their Pax Romana, the Roman peace. And they did this by, because any murmurings or rumors of rebellion, insurrection or civil unrest were swiftly and severely dealt with. Uh, uh, those involved in insurrection uh, were crucified and laid upon, or, uh, had their crosses erected along the highways as a warning to others that banditry and the sort was not to be tolerated. But this is to say Jesus' life and ministry didn't exist in a historical vacuum. The people of God were oppressed. They were subjugated by a foreign empire, and they paid taxes to a king who wasn't their own. They were longing and yearning for their independence. They were longing for a savior and a king of their own. The people were looking for revolution, a divine revolution that would be led and heralded by God's anointed. And so, before Jesus and after Jesus, revolutionaries and bandits actually arose. Um, and they were described like this because the Romans really didn't treat them uh, as that significant. So they'd send a police force of soldiers to go and deal with them instead of calling in the Roman legions. They didn't want to dignify them uh, by saying they were going to war. They'd just ruthlessly go in and slaughter them. Uh, there are a few mentioned in the scriptures, but others in secular uh, uh, sources as well. But as I said, there were many of these. And the assumption was, by those who followed them, that God would intervene. That if they just went beyond the Jordan and then crossed through and then came in to take the land, God would act on their behalf as he had done when Joshua captured Jericho gives a bit more meaning to why John the Baptist was in the wilderness beyond the Jordan, doesn't it? N.T. Wright, wrote, Wright writes this, What we can be sure of is that anyone who was heard talking about the reign of Israel's God would be assumed to be referring to the fulfillment of Israel's long-held hope. The covenant God would act to reconstitute His people, to end exile, to forgive their sins. And when that happened, Israel would no longer be dominated by the pagans. She would be free. The means of liberation were open to debate, but the goal was not. Get rid of the Romans. And so this is the mire in which Jesus comes preaching what? Mark chapter 1. The kingdom of God is at hand. The time is fulfilled. Revolution is around the corner. Jesus was a revolutionary, though very different from the others. 
Very different from John the Baptist, who were all proclaiming revolution was at hand. And what's more, as Jesus' ministry continued, though, he gained popularity. He gained momentum in the small towns and villages around Galilee. The crowds, at least, believed and heard, as they heard, believed even more that he was this great prophet, that revolution was coming with Jesus, and they ex- this expectation of revolu- revolution was heightened. And it reached its climax as Jesus enters into Jerusalem and the Passover, a week before the Passover. But it didn't go as the people thought. Jesus did not go to Pilate. He did not go to the Romans. He didn't even go to King Herod and overthrow them. In the, role, in the true role of a prophet, he went to the temple. He truly fulfilled the prophetic role, calling out the religious insufficiencies, calling the people back to covenant faithfulness. It was their corruption, their greed, their earthly misminded sinful nature that was the real problem, not the Romans. A revolution was coming. Jesus proclaimed it. Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it again. But here's the thing. In calling out the biggest problem, Jesus also told them the solution himself. Destroy this temple in three days. Destroy this corrupt temple, and I will raise it again, faithful and true. In the second reading that we heard from Hebrews chapter 1, marker is not working. Long ago, God spoke to our fathers through the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. Jesus is the word of God. Jesus, as the prophet, is also the message. John 14, 6. Jesus makes this claim, and many of you, I'm sure, probably know it by heart, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is the answer to the prophetic call. Let's think about this in light of Jesus' prophetic ministry, which is that call to covenant faithfulness. Jesus is the way. He is the one who truly showed the way that covenant faithfulness would look like. Wholehearted commitment to God. Jesus showed what this way looks like. But even more that, he is the way of, because that call, as I highlighted earlier, characterized in the Sermon on the Mount to perfection is impossible for sinful men and women. So Jesus is the way in that he has made a way to fulfill that relationship of faithfulness on our behalf. Jesus is the truth. His words are the truth about how life is to be ultimately lived first as God intended us to live. Second, his words are truth that express to us how life lived to the fullest with purpose is lived. And finally, they are the truth of how we are to live in order to have a hope and purpose that goes beyond life as we know it and into eternal life with God in his kingdom forever. And Jesus is the life in that his, in that his example, his words not only show us and tell us how to truly experience life, 
He is the one who connects us through his death and resurrection to the author, perfecter, and source of true and eternal life, God the Father. This is achieved through faith in Jesus. Jesus has done all of this through his death on the cross, cancelling our sins, cancelling our covenant unfaithfulness, and giving us and clothing us with his full, sufficient, and perfect faithfulness to God. And so this is the call today, the prophetic call that we each hear every day, believe, believe in me, I am the way, the truth, and the life, I am your way, I am your life, I am your covenant faithfulness, he is the only way to God the Father. Will you believe today? If you do, it doesn't end there. Because we, like Jesus, are also called to a prophetic ministry of word and deed. We are called to tell, to proclaim the good news about what God has done in Jesus Christ. That he has washed away our sins, that we are free from them, that we are forgiven. That in Jesus, in trusting in him and believing in him, there is wholeness. There is hope and eternal life. But we are also called to be revolutionaries. That second part of the Great Commission. We are called to obey all that Jesus has commanded us. This is the contents of our prophetic lives. If we truly obey each of us, imagine, imagine if we did. If we truly obeyed in this place, in this community. If we truly obeyed all of Christ's teachings and truly trusted in him, that he can give us, through his Holy Spirit, the best life now, how different would our lives look? How different would GPC look? How radically different would Glendowie look? Despite the attacks from the established society and from our peer groups and our work groups who tell us how we should behave, how we should live our lives, how we should run our business, raise our children, spend our money, use our free time, and treat others, if in all these areas we truly follow Jesus' words, I guarantee a prophetic voice in each and every one of us would be mighty and powerful and glorify God. And I know this because even if, sorry, even despite our failures to be faithful to God, God is never unfaithful. He's always true, always faithful. He always follows through. He always does what he promises. So the prophetic challenge for you and for me today is to commit our lives to Christ once more, to embody this prophetic life, and to give our all following Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Lord, you gave your life as so much for us as the word of the eternal God, or as an example, as a hope, as the way, as the truth, as our life. We want to respond to you, Lord Jesus, offering ourselves afresh in your ministry, in your service, in your kingdom. So as we do commit ourselves to you this morning, 
Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Empower us for the ministry, the prophetic ministry that we each have in your name. Amen.